Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online. You know, we love doing this show for you every single week, but doing the show is not free. So if you enjoy the show, we ask maybe uh, consider helping us out a bit and supporting it. You can do that by becoming an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com. EPP means extra podcast person. You get an extra podcast for your support of the show. Every single week, we send you a brand new one. And you get access to our past archive of EPP episodes as well. Right now, that's more than 15 bonus episodes along with the weekly episode that you'll be getting every single week for only five bucks a month. If you like the show, help keep us on the air. And become an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com today. And thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Today, could the fear felt while visiting the bowels of a coal mine stem from the dark and dangerous surrounding or could it be someone who's still working their shift in the afterlife. After witnessing the gruesome accidental death of a friend, a young man is haunted by more than just a memory of his friend. You might reconsider going to the kitchen for a midnight snack when you hear what one listener encountered while doing just that. Great. Gonna ruin that for me now, too. There you go. It's a paranormal weight loss plan. Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. I get so much comfort of just visiting the fridge at around 11 o'clock at night. You do? I enjoy that, and I'm making good choices. Yeah, you are most of the time. Most of the time, you know. But, uh... Now that's got to be ruined. I can't look in the mirror anymore or the fridge. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So there you go. It all works hand in hand. It's the new paranormal weight loss program. We could market that. We could create our own, essentially a fear-based program. Scare yourself skinny. <laughs> Scare yourself skinny. There you go. Yeah, who needs, who needs diet or exercise when you have demons? <laughs> that's the slogan. Who needs diet and exercise when you have demons? There you go. Ah, that'd be fun. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Of course, you can always uh, write into us through the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. We'd love to hear your real ghost story. And of course, if you want more ghost stories, you know how to do it. Become an EPP. Get all those bonus episodes sent right to you. It's only five bucks a month. Uh, right now, you get uh, like 22 bonus episodes sent immediately to you and then a new one every single week. So keeps our show alive and afloat and uh, makes it bigger and better and allows us to do more things for the show for you to make this into uh, to one hell of a podcast. So thank you guys for the support there. Uh, let's kick off the show today with a letter. And uh, the first letter we have today comes in to us from Tara. <clears throat> and Tara writes, in several months ago, my fiance and I went on a tour of the Lackawanna coal mine in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. What else is in Scranton, everyone? Ready? This is television quiz time. The office. Yep. I almost actually moved to Scranton once. Seriously? I'm not even kidding. Okay. I had a radio offer job in the Wilkes-Barre Scranton market. Uh-huh. And this was pre-office. I didn't even know what the office was yet, but I, I would have I would have found out the office was like the setting probably less than a year if I had taken that job. 
into that and I'm like, oh my God, I'm living where the office is. But uh, I didn't. Uh, it does look like a lovely. It kind of looks like Wisconsin-esque to me, honestly. Kinda. It looks really pretty. Yeah, it looks like a really nice area. I probably would have liked it. Anyway, uh, continuing on. This was a really a cool experience and very inexpensive, too. $10 a person, I think. I have pictures I could send you uh, if you have any interest. Anyway, they seat you in a steel open-air trolley-type car that runs on a train track. It is pulled by cables. I've never seen such a contraption. Seats maybe 20 people, I'm estimating. This takes you into a tunnel in the hillside and gradually goes down into the earth. As the car descends, the outside light at the end of the tunnel gets smaller and further away until it disappears completely. The passage is very narrow and gives the impression you're being swallowed by some great long-necked beast. It's a bit unnerving, uh, all on its own. I'd strongly suggest the claustrophobic uh, avoid this trip. Once down in the mine, the car drops you off and then leaves. Also very unnerving. We wear hard hats, which seems like wearing a seatbelt in an airplane. How much is that really going to help if a mile or so of earth lands on you? There's an older 60s-ish-year-old gentleman that's our guide and an ex-miner. He walks us through a fascinating tour, explaining the ventilation system, the support structures, basic mine procedures, etc. He goes over safety issues, how and why the canaries were used, which was not what I thought, by the way. Where the miners took breaks and other aspects of life in the mine. While I was mildly anxious, anxious while descending into the mine, a few minutes of being down there, and I was fine. It was way too cool and interesting to be anything but excited. Plus, my fiancé kind of inspires a feeling of safety in general, being muscular, 250 pounds, and a doctor. So I was good, and the only misgivings I had were about very practical safety issues, not ghosts. I swear nothing of that nature had remotely crossed my mind. So here we are, having been walking through a mine a good 20 minutes or more, and Then we come to this area that the guide explains is used as an airlock. Bear with me, I'm not sure how to shorten this part. Basically, in the tunnel in front of us is a set of double doors. We go through these doors, and once inside, it looks like about 30 feet ahead is another set of double doors. So basically, uh, as part of a very vital ventilation system, this area was needed to keep the air flowing the right way instead of the first set of double doors was a stool where a young 11 to 14 year old boy would sit. His only job was when a coal car needed to come through, he would open the first set of doors, let the cart into the tunnel segment, then close the doors behind it before opening the second set and letting them out of the airlock. The important thing was to never let both sets of doors be opened simultaneously. While no immediate disaster would occur, it would disrupt the ventilation flow and worsen the air quality in the mine. So it was that we were coming up on this section when all of a sudden I started to feel bad. Now here I'll mention that I seem to be a bit sensitive to things. Basically feelings that are strong tend to be correct. I most certainly am no psychic in any way or any such thing. Anyway, at first I did not recognize this as me sensing anything. I thought, oh God, we're suffocating. Something's wrong. The fans have stopped or something. But... When I looked around, my fiancé and the rest of the group were just fine, laughing and whispering and shuffling along. All I can say is it felt like a feeling of profound heaviness or pressure had descended on me. 
It would have been easy to panic and think I couldn't breathe, but I detached and was objective and realized I could, in fact, breathe just fine. Finally, after this continuing for about five minutes of our walk, part of which was during the tour and explanation of the airlock area, I mentioned it to my fiancé. Everyone, including him, seemed fine. I didn't want to sound crazy, so I said, Do you feel okay? He said, Yeah, why? Then, only because of the intensity of it, I went out on a limb and said, I don't know how to explain it, it just feels really heavy here, like the pressure changed or something. Ironically, he said, maybe it's haunted. Now, I had neither said nor considered that until that moment, and I know he was mostly, if not completely, joking. Please remember this area was in no way airtight, despite the name, and does not explain my feeling. In addition, the feeling started before and lifted well after this area. Anyway, we continued on and about 40 to 50 feet down the tunnel after the airlock area, the oppressive heaviness began to lift. I was very relieved, but wondering what was that? But none of that is the reason for the story. The guide brought our group to another stop where he was going to talk a bit. In this case, it was to point out how completely dark it was down there. Now, when you brought us to a, when he brought us to a stop, it was right about the time I was starting to feel better and less heaviness, for lack of a better term. So I would have preferred to move on a bit. As it was when he brought us to a stop, I was listening to him, but watching the tunnel we had just came through. I just stretched out straight behind us and kind of absently kept staring that way, just wondering why it felt so different back there. Meanwhile, our guide goes on to explain that the miners were taught that if the lights went out there, there was a, a protocol to follow. You see, there are low-hanging support beams overhead and potentially dangerous tools to the sides. So in the, in the event of no lighting, it is utterly and completely dark down there. It'd be easy for a miner to become disoriented, lost, and or injured. So the protocol was for the miners to get down on their hands and knees and feel the railway tracks and to crawl out, making their way along the tracks. Can you imagine? Then, and that alone, would take me to find alternative employment. To demonstrate the point that it is darker than anything in our normal experience down there, our guide shut down the lights completely. Now during all this, I continued to face backwards and was the very last person in the back of the group, so I had a clear view of the tunnel behind us. I was not creeped out or thinking of anything at this point. I had leaned over to my fiancé when I realized what the guide was about to do and said, just listen, I bet everyone gets really uncomfortable really fast. Sure enough, the lights were out all of two seconds and the murmur started in the group, people nervously laughing and talking, very uncomfortable with the total darkness. So I'm pretty sure I was actually smiling at this exhibit of human nature when the lights came up. But I was still facing the tunnel behind us. When the light came up, I saw something. Just for a few seconds. But I saw it. There was a form. The size and shape of a preteen child that seemed to duck and nearly simultaneously scoot behind one of the support beams that ran along the ceiling and down the wall like it was hiding. The thing is, it was black. There were many shadows in that tunnel, but it was much blacker than any of the surrounding shadows, blacker than black, and it just darted behind that beam and stayed there. I said nothing, 
did not feel alarmed or scared. I was just kind of in a state of wonder and kept looking as the group began to move forward. Kept looking back to see if it would reappear. But apparently, it was a one-time show. Now, to be honest, I have not told my fiancé about this because I wasn't sure what he would think. However, I could hardly wait to get home and talk to my 17-year-old daughter about it. But as I thought about it and tried to figure out how to describe it, I realized something. I maybe should not even mention this part because I know it doesn't make sense, but when I considered my description a solid shadow, something shaped like a person but blacker than black, I realized I had seen this or something like it before. This was a childhood memory, something I remember trying to figure out how to explain to an adult. Of this I am absolutely sure. I remember trying to figure out how to explain this thing before, yet that is all I remember. This all happened before I found your show. Needless to say, when you guys started discussing shadow people, I was floored. No shit. This is an actual thing, huh? Of many questions that come to mind, I'll pose this one. If shadow people were never human, why did the one in the mind seem to be the size and shape of a child? Was it just appearing that way because it heard the story of the boys it tend to, tended to the airlock and was just trying to look human? I did a little research. Boys have died in mines in that area. Whether or not that mine was unclear. I've heard since looking into it that some people think all shadow people are evil, non-human entities. Yes, that area felt oppressive and bad. However, when I saw the shadow boy, there was no feeling attached to it. Its movement was exactly like a child trying to hide before being spotted. Thoughts? I have no idea what to make of this and... Why do I remember seeing one before? My daughter was visited by a man as an infant, which is another story. Now I wonder if that was a shadow person. So many questions. Thank you for a truly great show. I don't know that I necessarily believe shadow people weren't humans at one point. I just, like we discussed in yesterday's show, I think that they are just another form that a person takes when they die. Did we discuss it in the EPP episode the other day? We may have. Yeah, yeah. that was, uh, and that, that's exactly how I feel. I think, I think shadow person has just become another name for ghosts. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think there's so many facets of it, just like you have ghosts and then, okay, break that down further, you know. You have ones who are human, you have non-human, um, you know, once living, non-living, and it just breaks down from there. And, and as I said I, on the EPP show the other day, it's just become such a regular word in the vernacular of folks because of ghost shows, really, on TV and such, that people even know the term, that I think it's 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 more descriptive when someone sees something like that as opposed to what they would just used to say it was a ghost and now shadow person is out there and people go oh that's a shadow person okay wherever they just call it a ghost you know 10 years ago so i think it's the same thing yeah it's just and i also think that there's they were human or you can have both it's just it's it's the base level shadow person doesn't mean evil non-evil it's really it's like saying ghost or a spook or a specter or whatever. Yeah, because we've even had stories of benevolent shadow people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for a long time, I lumped them into not necessarily evil, but not good ghosts. Mm-hmm. But I don't 
really think that anymore as my opinions evolve the more I learn I think that they are like you just said they're just another type of ghost yeah some are bad some are good you never know what you're gonna get that's the fun with ghosts <laughs> you never know if you're getting an evil demon that's going to eat your cat, or if it's just a kindly old grandmother who wants to give you some cookies from the grave. There you go. There you go. 855-853-4802 is the phone number to call in to Real Ghost Stories Online. Rob writes in, there was a friend that I grew up with named Brian. His grandma was good friends with mine, but he was a few years younger than me. I actually liked him. He didn't care too much for me, but I guess the age gap was understandable, so he often wanted to be around kids his age. It wasn't until years later when I got into sports when he was closer and then we were good friends again. Several years went by. This was a few years after I moved out of state, but I took a month off work around the time I moved to a different apartment. Most of my furniture was in storage, so I took up the offer of living at my mom's place in Sun Prairie for a month. It's near Madison, right? That's right. Yeah. The only part that sucked was all the driving, but I guess it made a better me a better driver. Met up with Brian again. He was really quiet and his voice sounded softer and didn't seem like he wanted to be around anyone. I asked his cousin what was wrong with him and she told me he's never been the same since his friend died. I wasn't sure if I should ask him about it, but since we grew up together, I decided to try talking to him. It was uncomfortable when we hung out. I invited him to a bowling alley because it was something I knew he liked to do. I didn't directly ask him what happened. I only asked him why he was so quiet. It wasn't until we finished bowling when he suggested we should drink, and I totally miss living so close to a bar because we didn't have to worry about having a designated driver. I brought him several beers... When he started to open up, I offered to let him crash out in my room. After I told him I was staying at my mom's place down the street, he was much more comfortable at this point and said, Bring on the drinks. I knew he wasn't working at the time, so it wasn't a big deal. As soon as our blood alcohol level was between Dean Martin and Jesus, he opened up uh, about his problem. (laughs) That's a nice... (laughs) Dean Martin and Jesus... I remember the skateboard. Uh, that's not something I added in there. That's literally what was in the letter. I just want to clarify. <laughs> I remember the skateboarded. Uh, he skateboarded often. Uh, being around the Midwest, it was uh, few and far between. But during summer, it was always riding around. He experienced a traumatic incident, grabbing the back of cars while skateboarding, which we did as kids after watching Back to the Future. This was the last day he ever skateboarded. He was with a friend and they grabbed the back of a truck. May have been a delivery truck for UPS or FedEx. Something happened when the truck hit a bump and slowed down. As his friend rolled towards the tire, he witnessed his friend scream as the tire launched him along its path that resulted in a gruesome crunch. He said the truck didn't stop and he had to skate back to the body of his friend. The body still moved. He knew by the appearance and puddle of blood growing larger that his friend was dead. It wasn't until another vehicle drove by to call for an ambulance, but Brian was by his friend's side and couldn't stop looking at him. One of the paramedics noticed he was in shock and he ended up in the hospital for a few days, but he wasn't injured. They knew something was wrong with him. He he was uh, catatonic for a month after this happened. He told me when he snapped out of it, he called for the nurse to have the catheter removed. I suggested it was time to hear, uh, to head to my place, mainly to save money on booze because my tab was high. 
but I had some drinks at home to continue the night. On our short walk home, Brian told me his friend was with him in the hospital the whole time apologizing profusely, but he knew his friend was dead. The entire month he was in that hospital room, he kept seeing his friend, and the same mangled body begged for his forgiveness. His friend was obviously dead, but they declared him DOA, which means dead on arrival. He also told me the kid's parents hated him. They blamed Brian for his death and shared harsh words to his mother. I never knew that kid or his family, but I remembered Brian and reminded Brian that shit happens and he was only a kid when it happened, so it wasn't his fault. We were eating some junk food and still chugging a few brews when he mentioned his friend continued to apologize to him after he left the hospital. I just listened to him, part of me being drunk, but the other part was that I didn't believe it was possible. It wasn't until he asked if I believed him when I told him I wasn't sure. I wasn't going to lie to him. This was when he told me that his friend would show up each night still begging for his forgiveness in the same appearance when he died. No matter what he did telling this entity it was all right and to move on or falling to his knees and praying to make it go away, it didn't leave him alone. It wasn't until he moved to another place when these events stopped. We were still drinking, but at a slow rate, eating some leftovers my mom made, but Brian couldn't sleep that night and asked me to stay awake with him. He was telling me memories about his friend, the good times and silly things you do as a kid. I let him continue because I could tell there were sparks of his former self starting to shine. Now, my mom had always been active and was getting ready for work in the morning when she found us in the living room reeking of booze. She called us drunken monkeys while doing her routine of making coffee and was out the door quick. I didn't really care, but Brian seemed embarrassed, so I joked around to get all the attention on me. We were pretty exhausted and fell asleep with the morning news on. I naturally don't sleep too long, and despite being hungover as all hell, I showered and made food to make sure my guest would be taken care of. He even thanked me for it after he woke up. Right after he finished eating, he asked if I remembered most of the night. Obviously, I did. But I told him, he seemed more upbeat even being hungover. I told him he should write a letter to his friend and leave it on his grave. If a drunken night with me helped him, he would likely feel better actually expressing how he felt to his friend. We shook hands, planned on having a farewell party before work, and I went back to sleep because I was still pretty damn hungover. It was a few weeks later Brian showed up and in very good spirits. He listened to me. He left a letter on his friend's grave because he remembered it was his friend's birthday. Not only did he get a few things off his chest and left a few birthday decorations, but he met with his friend's parents who showed up to pay their respects that day. They read the letter he wrote for his friend, some parts being inappropriate, but they knew he was being authentic with his words. They made amends that day and he was a much happier person. Then began the epic night of my farewell party where he got me hammered and I was bowing down to the porcelain god. It's nice to reflect upon the past. I met up with Brian several times when I visit my parents back in Wisconsin and he's thanked me for being around. He went from that state of depression, watching daytime television all day, to finishing school and having a fancy salary, becoming an architect. The last time we talked, he was far too busy to drink, letting me know he had his first child, and if he was a boy, his middle name would be Rob. 
Thanks for reading. The stories you share keep me open-minded about the paranormal. I hope the show continues to be a great success. Going to hope the Packers do well next year. And F the Dallas Cowboys anyways. So I wonder after he made amends with the parents and he made the letter if he stopped seeing his friend, if his friend stopped coming to him and asking for forgiveness. Like what was the trigger to making it stop? Well, didn't he mention when he moved, it kind of slowed down? Yeah, but I just, I didn't know if it was a psychological mm-hmm. thing where he needed to get that closure and forgive his friend for his friend to realize that it was okay. Mm-hmm. How? What about this thought? How many times do paranormal things actually begin as paranormal things and end up causing so much psychological harm, they end up turning into psychological issues? Probably quite a bit. You know, where initially, just here's the thought process. Initially, I'm not saying this is what happened. I'm saying maybe what if this is what happened. The ghost did show up a little bit. It was so scarring that it just kept repeating itself in his mind then as a psychological thing. Now no longer paranormal, but initiated itself as a, you know, like it's like a PTSD. Yeah. You know, type thing is really what that would be like. I could see that. I could see that definitely happening. I mean, not just in a case where you see somebody die, but Mm -hmm. just in any kind of haunting situation, it causing enough distress to cause other issues. Yeah, I could very well see that being the possibly being the the case in this story. Thanks for writing in and uh, and sharing that story with us. Uh, 855-853-4802 is the phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost story with us. Let's go to a caller. This is uh, Nathaniel. Hey, guys. I love the show. Uh, my name is Nathaniel. I live in Maine. And uh, I'm just here to just to try to tell a story. I have a lot, but I'll just try to give you one today. Um, so when I was younger, there was a lot of activity. Just, just I would see most of the activity. But my dad's also had experiences, so I think that I get his um, sensitivity to it through his side of the family. But... Um, when I was young, I was probably I was probably maybe ten years old, and I would I had nightmares every night when I was sleeping up until I was about fifteen years old. I'm nineteen now, um, but every night I would wake up in a cold sweat because I would have nightmares to the point where like I got real good at at stopping them. I would fall asleep for about two hours and force myself to wake up when I felt like I was going to have a nightmare, and that happened every night for a while. So I woke up one night after one of these nightmares, and something was real weird. I could feel like the room was filled with like a weird energy. I'm, I'm, I feel I, I feel a lot of energies. Like I'm real good at that kind of thing. Um, so I, it was like the room was charged with like a static electricity type feeling, and I don't know. It was kind of weird. I was still a little. My heart was racing from from the nightmare. So I woke up and and looked over to my left and I saw a man, my door was open to my bedroom and I saw a man walking out of my little brother's room. My brother was, it was an infant. He was probably, he, he, I don't even, he, I think he was about a year old. I mean, I don't know if that's an infant, but he was about a year old and he, there was a man walking out of my brother's room in a robe, like a black, like a dark robe. I don't know if it was black 
or like a dark navy or what the color was, but he was real creepy looking. But I didn't really think much of it because I was about 10 years old and I really wasn't sure what to make of it yet. So I looked over to him and I thought it was my mom at first. So I waved at her or him or whatever it was and it waved back. And what it waved with was a real pale, bony, sickly looking hand like um, like an old man's hand and I didn't think much of it at the time and it just kind of slowly floated down the hallway and down the stairs and I didn't think much of it after that until so I went back to bed and then the next morning I woke up and I went to ask my mom I was like hey was Owen okay why were you in his room at like really late at night she was like no he, he was fine he slept the whole night I never I never had to get up so it was weird I didn't I was like huh strange and my mom used to wear my mom used to wear this really dark navy bathrobe with polka dots on it, like white polka dots. So I looked at the robe and I was like, "There's no way that this was the robe." I would have seen the polka dots because my hallway was like dimly lit. It had a few lights on the on the floor, and I would have seen the polka dots. So it was like just a real dark robe figure walking out of my brother's room. And I went to go investigate the door, and the door. It has one of those old locks where you have to grab it and push down on like a thumb thing and it lifts up the latch on the back side of the door and it's real loud. And my brother's door sticks like crazy. So it takes a considerable amount of force to open it and it would have, I would have heard it open if he had opened it. And it would have woken me up because it used to when my mom would go into the room to check on my brother. And I thought that was really weird. It was really strange. And then I brought it up to my parents and they were like, oh, that's strange because um, I guess my great grandfather owned the house before we moved in there and he had died in my room. And he got real sick before he died. And, and so I don't know if he was checking on my brother, making sure that he was okay or if he was just trying to let us know that he's watching over us and making sure that we're all right. I never got a very negative feeling from him. It was almost like a motherly type feeling, like a very, like a caring, you know, like someone would care for you, that type of energy thing. So it was really strange. And, and that was, that's one of the very few people or things that I've seen in my house. Um, so maybe I'll give you guys a call back and share some, some of my stories. And I, I love the show. Um, I'm going to become an EPP member pretty soon. I just need to get paid. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing the story if you do. And if not, you know, thank you anyways. All right. Goodbye. Thank you for the call. And I'm glad that it doesn't sound like it was, a, I mean, it may have been kind of frightening at the time, but it sounds like it's just a you know, happy spirit that's still in your house of probably your great grandfather. And it's a good thing, you know, that he was just checking in and even waved. (laughs) I think he's just happy to be around. Or was the Crypt Keeper. One of the two. Wasn't the Crypt Keeper. When I hear the bony hand, that's what I think of. I think of the intro to, uh, uh, what the hell was that show? Tales Tales from from the the Crypt. crypt. Yes. I.E. the Crypt Keeper. I.E. the Crypt Keeper. Yes. Did you ever watch that show? No. It was funny. They actually ended up making a uh, Saturday morning cartoon version of it. Really? Which was totally bizarre because it was a very explicit show. The Saturday morning cartoon version was ne- wasn't anywhere near uh, what the other one was. But they did have that, that spooky music and a really cool intro. Uh-huh. You know, where it goes through all the spooky stuff and then all of a sudden the 
casket opens and there's the Crypt Keeper. There was a cartoon version of that for Saturday morning. Ew. Didn't last very long. It's kind of odd when you're, you know, going out of Muppet Babies into that. Yeah, I bet that's a little too scary. Yeah, a little bit odd. I got into it, but, you know, no one else did. Uh, Shelby writes, in the first time I experienced paranormal activity was when I was 10 years old. That day, my older sister and dad got into an argument. I forget why, but anyway, she was on her way out, and she says, see you later tonight. I knew she meant to stay up late, wait for me to knock on her bedroom window in the basement and let her in. My dad would always lock the door before he went to bed, so I was watching a good old VHS movie when all of a sudden doll that I was given from Christmas that would make music started to go off. It had blonde pigtails, dark black eyes, and black threads for a mouth. It always had a smile with a red dress. Wasn't even into dolls. Gave me the creeps because I knew our house was haunted. I felt like I was being watched, so I quickly grabbed the doll and threw it in the closet so I didn't have to look at it any longer. I made my way upstairs to our kitchen and opened the fridge door and grabbed a nice cold Pepsi. I turned around to head back downstairs. I almost walked into this little girl. She was pale with dark circles under her eyes. She was barefoot wearing a muddy white nightgown. She was about six or seven. She looked me dead straight in the eye and asked, Where's your sister? She repeated it like three times. I dropped my Pepsi all over the floor. I ran to my parents' bed. My parents checked the whole house with me. We didn't see anything. I was terrified. I felt the evil vibes at night. It's about 3 a.m. when my sister knocks at the door. We let her in, and she's still kind of pissed when she walks past us to the basement. A minute or two later, she yells up, Keep your damn doll off my bed and out of my room. I went to see which doll she was talking about, when sure enough, it was that creepy doll. The doll I put in the closet. I turned around, slept upstairs on the couch for a few days. My older sister had a couple more creepy encounters with this little girl. For some reason, it had a thing for my sister. We eventually moved out of that creepy house, and I made sure and left that creepy doll behind. I never liked it after that night that I'd saw her. When people ask me if I believe in ghosts, I always say yes. I don't care if people think I'm crazy because I've seen them and probably one day you will too. So how does that go for you and your midnight snacks? Now I'm just waiting for the letter to come in for, we bought a house with a creepy doll that was left in the basement. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice little surprises. But she said the house was haunted anyway. Yeah. So. There's been stories like that where they left toys at the house, mm-hmm. and uh, or they found toys in the house. So if you buy a house and you find a toy, burn it. Be wary. Actually, don't burn it. That's a bad idea when you have a demon in the toy. <laughs> Just be very leery if you're finding things around the house that otherwise people probably would have taken with them. Yeah. I mean, I would suggest call the owner and go, hey, you forgot this box. And if the reaction is, click, uh, I think maybe take it to Goodwill. Oh, Yeah. And haunt the goodwill. Share the magic. <laughs> I was uh, I was thinking uh, when we were just talking earlier about uh, kids' cartoons and how they made uh, a cartoon out of uh, Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. when we were kids. Um, Saturday morning cartoons do not exist anymore. There is no network on television that shows Saturday morning cartoons. Did you know that? Yeah, and it yeah. stinks. No. I'd but, still watch it. But back in the day... Um, 
you know, there's like Cartoon Network and stuff, and there's things like Adult Swim, but, you know, back in the day, your only outlet for, for cartoons was really Saturday morning, or Fox, which at that time would run like The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think King of the Hill had come out around that time, too. Other than that, all this other stuff wasn't there. There was no South Park. There was no anything else. Um, but there was a lot of adaptations of grown-up shows that were being shown on Saturday morning cartoons okay. that would pop up. So I'm just thinking if if we were back in, in, in the shows that are on today that are grown-up shows and we were living in a 1992 world, uh-huh. what grown-up shows would go and become kidified versions Walking Dead. Would there be a walk? I, I could see that. I could see that. Could one. you see a children version of Breaking Bad at all? No. Where, where it would be like, I could totally see it being one, especially in that era, because it was the War on Drugs era, yeah. where it was like kind of a weird spin on Breaking Bad, where it was you know an anti-drug show. I mean, not that Breaking Bad really promotes drug use by any means. It doesn't, like, make it look like some glorified lifestyle. In fact, it pretty much is a... I could see it being a very deterrent to getting into drugs if you watch Breaking Bad. But I could see it being much more, you know, kidified and more of, like, a dare... You know, like, Walter is, you know, he's working with Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652, you know? But it gives too much information as to how kids can get their hands on Well, that. I don't think he'd be, like, making meth out of the trailer. I th- then I d- what's the point of a kid's that, That's how half bad. of it was, though. I mean, they would take, like, a name uh-huh. of something back then and then throw it into a cartoon, and it rarely resembled anything to do with the original product. Okay, to me, when your little kid comes up to you and he's talking to you about Breaking Bad and Walter White, <laughs> that's just the same thing as when you're a teenager sure. and your parents start talking to you about something you think is really cool until your parents start talking to you about then it. Then it ruins it all. Then it ruins it. It's just reversed. Your little kid just ruined Breaking Bad for you because they find it's cool now. It'd be really interesting uh, if there was a, a, a cartoon. There was that one on YouTube. <laughs> the Do you want to build a meth lab? That's what that's what it would look like. That so was now funny. you have an idea what what the cartoon version of Breaking Bad would be. That was very funny. Uh, a cart, you know, a cartoon version of of Walking Dead would be interesting. I mean, yeah. there there is the the comic book, but. Uh, you know how like Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters had, you know, the real Ghostbusters is what the Saturday morning cartoon was. Yeah. I liked that. And then there was that, that kind of other version that was like with Slimer 2 or something and it was even more cartoonified. That one kind of sucked. Hmm. It was the original one that was, was pretty good. And there was actually even a Ghostbusters before that. I'm glad you were up on all this. With a monkey in it. Were you aware of that? I'm sorry, I'm not up to snuff because no, I was not aware of that. ghost fighting monkey, and it was called Ghostbusters, had nothing to do with the movie, and that's why they had to call the cartoon the real Ghostbusters. Copyright. Okay. There you go. There's a little knowledge for you. Just thought I'd share. Uh, 855-853-4802, that's our number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Hi. Hello, this is Adolfo from uh, San Francisco. Um, I was uh, calling about a story... That happened to me about a year ago. Uh, me, my wife, and our two kids, we took a trip up to uh, Reno, Nevada um, for Valentine's Day weekend. Um, it didn't occur to me that it was Valentine's Day weekend. It was There wasn't any hotels available, hotel rooms available. So uh, 
we drove around for about an hour uh, looking for hotel rooms. Everything was booked. Uh, I was just about ready to give up. Uh, I turned around to see what, what else we can get into. Uh, we ended up finding this hotel in for life of me. I can't remember the name of the hotel. Um, it was a little smaller, you know, hole in the wall type place. Um, but they had rooms available. Uh, like three or four blocks down the street from the circus circus. So it was, it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, too far off from, you know, we're trying to, you know, take the kids to the next day, whatnot. Anyways, um, the pool had uh, gardening equipment. It was all broken down. It was, it was really like a hole in the wall. It was the only place that had rooms in Reno for the weekend. So we ended up staying there. Uh, we got a third story uh, room. We got to let's go up the stairs because the elevator was broken. First thing that caught my attention with the room was um, there was uh, as you come in through uh, up the steps. Our room was to the right side. Um, it was two rooms to the left side, and it looked like someone had ripped off a caution tape, right? Like you know, like the ones you see on crime scenes and stuff like that. It's just you know, someone didn't clean up properly, right? Okay. So um, you know what I was gonna say? Well, I was tired. Want to lay my head down, get the bags out of the car, and you know, get the kids settled in, whatever. Um, it was a two two bed um, hotel room. Uh, my son, our three-year-old, he ends up, uh, you know, he, he, he slept in the same bed as my wife. Um, I have my nine-year-old with me, my daughter. She sleeps in the bed with me. And, uh, you know, we're just tired for the night, so we went to sleep right away. Um, I woke up. I have no idea what time it was, but it just felt like there was something in the room. And it was uh, it was really cold. It was it, it was just really cold. Even though the heater was on, it was just really cold. And I felt like something pressured me down, like like pushed me in the bed, like like just really hard. Like I couldn't move. Um, I looked. I finally got you know a chance to kind of tilt my head up, and there was these three figures it was um, I don't know how else to describe it. the first you know um, words that popped into my head were vampires but it, they weren't vampires it was just, it was just weird they were, they were really pale uh, pointy ears I mean it was it was it kind of looked like a like Gollum from uh, uh, Lord of the Rings just, just a creepier version of them tall one had a, a, a all black on, the other two were, were shirtless. And um, the one with the, with the, that was wearing, you know, the one that had all black on, he put his his hand like on, on top of my head and just pressed it down. And I, I don't know if I was having a dream or, or it was real, it was, it, I mean, it felt real, but it, it was like I wanted to scream and I couldn't scream. And uh, all of a sudden it was like, I, I turned around towards my daughter and it's like I was I was trying to choke her like I was trying to choke her and like but it wasn't my hands anymore it was it was these long clawy like I mean I had like really long fingers and and, and claws in them and I was like trying to 
like choke my daughter, like scratch my daughter's face. It was like, and it, 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 I kind of battled with the, with the, with the, with the, with my hand, like trying to get her. And with my other hand, I kind of picked it up. I had to lift up my right hand with my left hand in and, and, and order for me not to scratch my daughter. But it was just, it, it, it's like, I never felt such a battle in mentally. It was like, like part of my head was saying, tear her face off. The other one was like, what are you doing? It's a daughter. And, and I just, you know, I kind of called out to God. I was like, what's going on? And, and it, it just stopped. And, and I know you're particular about mirrors. So am I, I never look into mirrors. And there was a mirror across from us in, in the room between the two beds, but in front of us. And these three figures just kind of went in there, just went in the mirror. And I finally got up by, like I said, I don't know if it was a dream or, 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 or it was reality, but it was just so scary, and it was, it was, it was, it was still cold. Like I was so, so, you know, so scared. I not, not, not so much of what happened, but what I was about to do to my daughter. Like I wanted to just get out and leave, but I didn't want to wake anybody up because everybody was still sleeping. Uh, you know, I was like one. You know, I was, I was telling myself, I just, I just want to get out and just walk around, but. You know, at the same time, I didn't want to leave my, my, my family in the room. I didn't know what was in there. So, you know, I just was wondering if, you know, anybody's, you know, gave me any idea what it could have been. Um, um, the most disturbing part about it is I'm very protective of my kids. And then, and, and in that night, it just wanted to, you know, it was just like evil, man. It was, it was really evil. It's just like I wanted to, like, rip her face apart, you know, my nine year old. And, you know, I kind of told, I, I told my wife the story. I didn't, I didn't say too much around the kids and, and, um, you know, she, she, she was kind of shaken up by it. You know, she believed me and she has a couple of Facebook friends on, in, in Reno. You know, she kind of asked around about the hotels and, and I guess there's, there's, uh, stories about, you know, haunted hotels and stuff like that, but nothing like that. It, it was, um, I guess the guy that owned that hotel, he's he's well known in Reno. Uh, all her friends that she talked to from there on Facebook, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's known as the pervert. He's known as the pervert." But uh, um, anyway, it was it was just you know kind of kind of or you know it was it was, it was th that was the most concerning part was. Was like I said, I'm very protective of my kids, and it just that night it just wanted to harm, you know, especially my daughter. Like my son was in the other, in the other bed, but you know, I was laying next to my daughter. So great show, you guys. I listen to you guys um, all the time at work, and uh, yeah, thanks for hearing my story. Bye. Yeah, it kind of sounds like you were a little bit possessed there for a little while. And I don't think it was the first time that it's happened in that room if there's remnants of caution tape on the door. Just got a touch of the possession. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little hint of the possession. It's not funny, though. It's really scary. No, it's, yeah, very disturbing and scary. And it's, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, how to deal with that as a parent. I mean, I mean, uh, especially as the other parent, you know, if the one parent said, hey, I was thinking of doing this the other night. <laughs> Yeah. I'd be like, uh, yeah. You know, it's like, 
you know, but understanding, you know, where that setting was, what was going on, what the person's true nature is. You know, I would, you know, if it happened to me, I'd be going in and getting psychologically evaluated to make sure there wasn't anything wrong with me. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that there is with him. I think it probably had a lot to do with that room, if not 100% to do with that room. Mm-hmm. But I would just, for my own sake, uh, you know, and, and sanity, I think I'd want to make sure there wasn't like something misfiring in my head that I wasn't like at any given moment just going to like go off the hinges and not know what the hell I, I did, you know? Yeah. Make but, sure there's not like some tumor pushing on something up but there. But here's the thing. At the same time, he was conscious and was trying to fight that. It sure. wasn't like it just took over. I think if mm-hmm. it were some... And I'm no, I'm no doctor. I'm no expert. But I'm thinking if it were something wrong with him, it wouldn't be this dual no, thing I, I, going on. I, it would be a yeah. all all going after the daughter or not. I, I completely agree. I would just be so paranoid that like, well, what if next time I don't have control, you know? Yes. You know, and that's where I would want to just make sure there wasn't something wrong with me, which I don't think there is anything wrong with him. I would I'm just, if it were in, in my, I would do that just to my, otherwise I'd be too afraid. I'd have like a tumor or something that was doing this, you know, totally messing with your mind and things firing in the wrong ways. I think it was just a bad hotel room that possessed him. There was something in that bad hotel room possessed him. You see that a lot at uh, Days Inns now. I'm kidding. No, you don't. <laughs> uh, the uh, I wonder if uh, did they advertise that hotel as being haunted? Did they? I don't think so. No. But that says something. If all the other hotels in town are booked up, but that one's but got that, rooms. Yeah, there's a reason. The locals know something about it. Hey, by the way, if you want to uh, understand uh, the definitive uh, course of action that uh, Back to the Future takes place in, <laughs> Scott from Portland put up a very long synopsis of it because I mentioned that the other day. How I was still somewhat confused by some of it after watching it again. Uh huh. Uh, he went into great detail, and and Scott, honestly, I have not read all of this yet. <laughs> I haven't read the first paragraph. I read the I read, okay. I, I think about it. I read the first paragraph. Uh, I will read the rest of this later, but it's long and it's interesting. But if you're into Back to the Future, it could be a good little read. It's up on our message board. <laughs> there you go. So thank you, Scott, for sharing how Back to the Future works. And I'll probably be more confused after reading it, but uh, it's there. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, Let's do one more caller before we wrap up the show today. This is uh, Austin. Hello, my name is Austin Durham, and I was just calling uh, to tell you my ghost story. Um, I love your show, by the way. It's great. Um, So basically, when I was about 13, um, I would go to bed every night, just like on a normal night. And this is when I lived in Germany. And so one night I got woken up and I looked out my doorway and there was a child about about five foot, I guess, four or five foot. And she looked completely black and it was a little girl. Um, it looked like she had long black hair that went all the way to her feet. and. Um, you know, I thought it was my sister because my sister was, I guess, about like six or seven or something. And, you know, she she slept right next door. And so I called the name out a few times and didn't really think of anything of it. And then a few days later, you know, I got woken up again, which was weird. And I looked outside and I got frozen with fear this time, you know. 
Uh, so it happened, I guess, a, a few more times. Same little girl, same black dress, you know, everything was the same. Um, but the fifth or sixth time that it happened, I decided to get up out of my bed and go check it out. So when I got about, I guess, a foot away from it, I put my hand out to see if it was, you know, you know, see if it was my sister, because I kept calling her name out, um, you know, and I put my hand out and I waved it in front of me, which was where the little girl was, and she disappeared. And that scared the living daylights out of me, as you can tell, or as you can tell, huh? as you would know. Um, and so I went downstairs and I woke up my parents and told them what had happened. And a few years later, recently, uh, a few weeks ago, probably, I told my parents about what happened. They were like, yeah, we remember. So I remember that I was not sleeping and this actually happened. So thanks for uh, telling me, or thanks for your show. It's really great. And um, yeah, just wanted to share it with you. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for confirming you're not crazy. Is that what he was trying to... No, I think he got the confirmation that he wasn't crazy from his parents remembering this whole okay. story. Okay, okay. It wasn't something he just dreamt or saw. Sure. And, and hearing our show, I'm sure he hears you know, the stories from other folks who have the same sort of thing happen. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So this is somewhat normal. Yeah. It's normal in our world. <laughs> That's true. Great story. Uh, thank you for calling in and sharing that with us. The number here is 855-853-4802. If you'd like to share your real ghost story with us, of course, you can also write it on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And if you want more episodes, we got them for you. You can binge on 22 straight hours of shows you've never heard from Real Ghost Stories Online. Some great, some of the best stories actually we've ever had are on these EPP episodes. Sign up at realghoststoriesonline.com to get those. Five bucks a month is all it costs and it keeps our show alive. So uh, check that out. So until uh, next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. Online.